Hey everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. Lena Ebjemer here and I'm your host. It is good to have you here. It is a new year, a new study, a new you. I hope you're on the same page as me and I hope you're ready to delve into a Bible study that will turn your world upside down. Listen, before I get into the study and what it's all about, let me just welcome you if it's your first time here. Uh, glad to have you. And if you've been here before, then you know that we're here every week teaching biblical truth for everyday life. I run a ministry called Living with Power Ministries. I have a full-time job as a physician, and I uh, run a ministry that focuses on providing biblical truth for everyday life and sending hope to the world. So uh, we serve Syrian refugees as well as the Ukrainian refugees and the Lebanese. I am Lebanese, in case you were wondering. That's my last name's origin, but I hail from the Midwest now. Uh, my family base home is Green Bay, Wisconsin's huge Packer fan here and I uh, hope you are too. If you're not, I won't hold it against you. And in the meantime, I live in Chicago. I love the Windy City, uh, except in the winter. But uh, what I love most is teaching God's Word. So I am glad you tuned in. I'm glad you checked us out. And I hope you're telling your friends about it. By the way, did you know you can subscribe to this podcast? That way every week you just get a link whenever we uh, drop a new episode. And we are going to delve into the book of Acts. This is an awesome book in the Bible. Great time of the year to be thinking about the church and Jesus and how he turns everything upside down, which is why I've called this series the Upside Down Series. I'll be breaking up teachings into two weeks per chapter, and we will uh, guide you along every week. In the meantime, sit back, listen up. Don't turn your speed to double speed, because you know what will happen. I think the normal speed or slow speed is another option for those of you who prefer to listen slow. But however you listen, I hope and pray that your hearts are open to the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, and that you are ready to have your life turned upside down by the power of the gospel. It's exciting to be here. I've waited a long time to uh, be back here. And those of you who uh, have taken the Luke class know that this is really um, something that I love to do. And I uh, feel really blessed by the Lord to be given the opportunity to, to be here teaching you. And so, um, you know, it's funny when you're starting a series, really when you're, when you're starting a, a a long book like Acts, like you guys are looking at the homeworks and there's so many weeks to come, you know, it's a little bit like, I don't know if any of you have ever trained for a marathon, I, I haven't, but it just kind of seems like it would feel that way, like you're looking at a big project and you just think, where am I going to start? Or it's like, this I do identify with, like if you ever have that closet that you really need to clean and you're just like, someday I'm going to clean that closet and you're just like, I just don't know where to start, and so you kind of keep putting it off, right? But, but really, any of you who have tackled these projects know that really there's only one place to start, and it's, it's really at the very beginning. And so what we're going to do is start the book of Acts right at the very beginning. So if you're not there by now, go ahead and open to Acts 1, verse 1. Acts 1, 1 says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I don't know if any of you read any other versions of the Bible, but I really like how the message starts the book of Acts because I think it's so succinct and so um, it just, it's just there. You know how it starts? It starts like this, Dear Theophilus. I like that. It's just straightforward. It's like, let's, let's start. And if you guys have done your homework, you know that the book of Acts was written by who? By Luke, right. You guys know that Luke wrote it because we just studied the book of Luke and you probably had a chance to go back and compare the first few verses of the book of Luke. And really Acts is like part two of the book of Luke. And so, and so he's writing again to this man, Theophilus, who is, uh, the meaning of the word is lover of God. And, and I don't know if any of you remember that uh, definition of Theophilus or if you had a chance to look that up. But I love that because I think every one of us here is a Theophilus of sorts. We've taken some time off on a Tuesday night to come here to get together with people that some of you haven't even met before. 
And so you have to have some supernatural love for God that would drive you to do that. And, and, and so I like that, that that man has been given that name. I think it is by divine sovereignty that that happened. But he was a real man who was supposedly a, a respected member of um, of, of, uh, of his time. And so Luke was writing to him and says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he, met, whom he had chosen. Verse 3 says this, to them he presented himself alive. And I want us to stop for a minute because really that word alive is going to frame our entire time today. Do you understand that the whole reason that we are here is because Jesus is alive? And, 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 and there's really the crux of all of our belief, the capstone of, of everything that we say we are is because of that one truth that Jesus is alive. And I'm telling you, being alive is a big deal. Yesterday I was working in the ER where I usually split my time between church and the emergency room. And it's funny because it, nobody wants dead people in the ER least of which the doctors, right? And so, so I'm sitting in the corner, doing, minding my business. It's a slow Monday morning. It wasn't slow for long, but about 10.30 in the morning, I get a call from one of the nurses up front. She says, uh, there's a three-week-old baby coming in, and he, um, he had a cardiac arrest. He's an asystole, and they're going to be bringing him in. That's the last thing you want to hear as a doctor on a Monday morning. You guys may be thinking, well, you're an ER doc. Don't you live for those moments? No, I'd rather just be checking my email account or Twittering when I'm at work. But, but so, so I kind of have to change my whole mindset. So I was in the middle of actually doing some things for this class. And all of a sudden, I had to go back to the resuscitation room. And so I walk over there, just kind of dragging my feet. I had about four minutes before the baby came in. And I remember I just looked at the nurse. And I, and I said yesterday, I said, I said um, well, the obvious question that every ER doctor wants to know, do they have an airway? Is he intubated? So if you have any connections with the medical field or if you watched ER, you probably have an idea what that is. And the nurse looks over to the one who took the call and we all kind of waited. And she says, oh, no, by the time they showed up, he was having a heart rate and was breathing normally, which said two things to me. Whoever said that it was an arrest has absolutely no idea what they're talking about because you don't just like magically get better after an arrest. And the second thing I thought was, well, that's great. I can go back to finishing what I was doing. <laughs> And so I walked back, and, and, and you know, it's funny because the nurse said something that I believe as well. She was like, well, I'd much rather have an alive baby than a dead baby. And the truth is that that is, that is the case. I want people to be alive. Those of you who have dealt with losing loved ones know how hard it is, to, that finality of knowing that you're going to go back home. I see that in the emergency room all too often where, where somebody passes away, either unexpected or very expected, but there's that emptiness as the family leaves and there's one missing member of their home. So now picture the disciples back in Luke. We spent a whole year studying the book of Luke last year. And so those disciples were devastated. Their best friend, the one that they thought was the Messiah, the one who they thought would restore the kingdom that was, going to do these, was doing these amazing things with them, dies. And remember, we spent that last week of Luke talking about how they were devastated. If you remember those two men walking the road to Emmaus, and they said those words, we had hoped we had hoped, and they, they were devastated that he was gone. But something happened three days later, didn't it? Jesus rose from the dead. I, I love how Paul frames it in 1 Corinthians 15. This is what the Apostle Paul says about it. He really sums up the story of the Messiah. It says in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, 
here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, and then of course he talks about how he appeared to him. Christ was dead, and he's now alive, and everything has changed. And, you, and, and right off in Acts 1, if you've spent some time looking at that chapter, you know that everything has changed. And I want us to look today at five truths to consider because Jesus is alive in Acts 1. Now, we'll see that the entire book of Acts is impacted by that truth of the resurrection. But today, I just want us to dwell on five thoughts. Number one, because he is alive, the story is not over. I skipped uh, down to verse 3, and we were kind of focusing on this word alive, but going back to verse 1, I want to read you um, uh, that, that beginning. There's a very critical thought there. In verse 1, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And he's talking about Luke. So in Luke, Jesus began the work. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, wait, I thought the work of Christ was finished at the cross. It was. The work, the work of salvation, the work of redemption was completed at the cross, but Jesus was just starting. We see here in Acts where he says that he was just beginning to do. He, so act, the Acts of the Apostles is his, the continuation. It's part two of the work that God has started to do in Christ. And, and you think about that. I think about my life, some verses that have been so meaningful to me. Uh, one of the first verses that the Lord impacted in my life is in Philippians 1.6. You guys know it. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. And, and, and what we see in Acts is, is Christ doing that work in the disciples that would then expand into the local church there in, it, we'll get to that in a minute, in Jerusalem, then in Judea and in Samaria, then it goes to the uttermost parts of the earth and it keeps going through generations and look at us. Well, here we are, a product of that work. And so Acts is the story of the church and then you come to us, the modern day Christians, and we are part of the work that God is doing. And you know that every one of us is doing part of the work that Christ has for us. Another great verse that I love is in Ephesians 2, verse, uh, verses of course 8 and 9 are great salvation verses. If you, um, some of you may have come to Christ and because of these verses, um, remember they say this, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But then listen to this verse in verse 10. Listen to this verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you understand that? When, it, when Luke says in the book of Acts that, that, that in the first book he's dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, he's continuing to do and teach in us now. Do you see it? Do you see yourselves part of that story? There's a little um, story that I came across this week that I loved in um, John MacArthur piece that I read, but uh, he tells the story of a, of a London Times reporter back in the century, uh, turn of the century, I guess, there was a, a famous uh, architect who had designed the St. Paul Cathedral. I don't know if any of you have been to London, but it's a beautiful cathedral. Uh, it was designed by this man, Sir Christopher Wren, and everybody wanted to work with Sir Christopher Wren. He was just an incredible person with great vision, and so he was building this great cathedral. And this London Times reporter was investigating, and so he, says, um, he said that he went up to these people who were working on the wall, of course, and he asked this, the first man, what are you doing? And the man says, uh, well, I'm putting this rock in the slot. Isn't it obvious? Okay. So he came to the second man and asked him the same thing. What are you doing, sir? And the second man says, I'm earning a day's living. 
So he comes to the third man doing identically the same thing. And he says to him, what are you doing, sir? Why, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build St. Paul's Cathedral. Now, MacArthur goes on to say this, and I really like this. Because I think when we think of our walk with the Lord and the work that we're doing for the Lord, I find that we get stuck sometimes in this. He says, I wonder sometimes if Christians really understand what they're doing. For some Christians, it's just kind of like sticking a rock in a slot. It's kind of like filling time. So you work for the Lord. It's just kind of something you do. I guess if you have nothing else to watch on TV, you just work for the Lord. I don't know. For other Christians, he says, uh, it's more like this thought. Well, I'm trying to earn my reward so that when I get to heaven, you know, I get a halfway decent place. Does that thought ever cross your mind? See, I, I, I have to confess that that's, that thought's crossed my mind. This week, I was riding the car with my nephews, and my little nephew says, out of the blue, he goes, guess what? I found out that when we go to heaven, we're going to have mansions. They must have talked about it in Sunday school, but he was so excited about it. He said, we're going to have mansions, and they're going to be great, and there's going to be like a river flowing through it, and there's going to be like, and his brother's like, no, no, not river. It's a stream. And then he's like, yeah, 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 but, but the streets are going to be gold. It's going to be great. And I interrupted him. I was like, well, I want to know, is it one mansion for the whole family, or will each of you get their own mansion? And he just looked at me for a minute. And he was like, you know, I really don't know. And, 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 and it's funny because, because, it's, because we kind of think that way, don't we? We may not say it, but, but we think, well, I'm going to work for the Lord. Maybe, just perhaps, I'll just get a better reward. Perhaps heaven will be better for me if I do more for the Lord. But then MacArthur says, I wonder if we really understand that the Christian life is all about helping the Lord Jesus Christ to finish the work that he began. Do you understand that when you serve the Lord, when you're working for Christ, in our church we believe in working for Christ, do you understand that you may be serving in the nursery on a Sunday morning and you may be saying, well, what, what value does that, that, does that have to do with anything? And, 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 and not only that, but I find sometimes that as we do the work for Christ, we tend to kind of compare, well, why do I only have to build the small section of the wall? And how come I just get to do the basement side? You know, how come the other gal over there, she gets to do the front door? Like, that's not fair. Why does she get the front door? I only get the backyard. You know, and, and there's this comparison when really it's not about what part you're doing. It's the fact that you're even lucky enough to work on what Christ has started. Do you understand that? Because he is alive, the story is not over. It is the story of his works and his words. We will spend weeks looking at the words of Christ. We'll probably have chances as we go along in the study of Acts to, to look at some of the, the words that Paul uh, has said in his epistles and in the letters that he's written. That it, it, We're just going to see how that all interchanges. And there's just so much that Christ still has to teach us. I'm most excited. I got to tell you, though, I'm most excited about learning about the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you're like me too, but, but I kind of, I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's like I want him, I know him, but I don't want to be accused of being too much Holy Spirit. You, you know. So come next week. We're going to talk about Pentecost. You don't know what we're going to do. Cash Cablino was bad enough today. And next week it's going to be like, I know, it's going to be half the room's not going to come. You're going to be like, I'm just going to avoid that whole thing. I was thinking of skipping. Be easier to deal with it that way, right? But I believe that God has much to teach us. From his word in um, verse 4, uh, or I'm sorry, before in verse 3, it says, To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus appeared to the disciples. They'd seen him. This wasn't like one person's imagination. I mean, nobody accused the disciples of being hallucinating. On the contrary, they saw the living Christ and they were so convinced their whole world was turned upside down. 
And Paul reminds us in that passage in 1 Corinthians that I read that, that it wasn't just seen by one person or two people. He showed up to crowds of 500 at one point. I mean, this wasn't just a, a, a thing that they all decided on. Remember, I mean, we've, you know the story of the resurrection. The Roman guards were, were standing in front of the tomb that was blocked by a stone. And, and, and yet, those meager disciples who, by the way, couldn't even answer, Peter couldn't even answer a servant girl. He was so afraid. And yet so transformed because they had seen and touched the hands of Christ. They had seen the marks of the nails in his hand. And the whole world was turned upside down. Because he is alive, the story is not over. And then write this down, number two. Because he is alive, the waiting has a purpose. It says in verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from, Jer from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Because he is alive, the waiting has a purpose. I hate waiting. And I find it interesting that the first thing that Christ tells the disciples to do after he sees them, he doesn't say go and love one another. He, he doesn't say go and have a prayer meeting. He doesn't say go and feed the hungry. He doesn't say go and tell others that, that I'm alive. No, what does he say? He says go and wait. That's pretty crazy. How many of you have experienced waiting in your Christian life? Every one of us, some of you right now, you're sitting here and you've been waiting for years on the Lord. But, but there's a few things here that I think we ought to consider is this. He, 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 there, there's really no, when he promises the Holy Spirit, he says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It was nothing that they could do about it. They just had to go sit in a place and they had to wait for this to happen. The, the doing was on God's part. Theirs was just to sit quietly and wait. Today I was, I had, uh, was uh, trying to write a blog for tomorrow actually and I had a few moments to meditate on lamentations. I'll tell you, it's one of my, it's funny, you will, it's moving forward, because it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and I think uh, you probably just have forgotten that these verses are there. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. Then he says this though in verse 25, these are the verses that I was thinking about today, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let, us, let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Of course, later he says, For the Lord will not cast off forever. For though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Are you in a season of waiting right now? Maybe God would use these verses to encourage you. I, I love, though, uh, in, in Acts, that the waiting is a, for a specific reason. You see in the verse it says, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said. And so the association that Luke makes here is that you're waiting for what God has said. You're waiting not for what you want. You're waiting not for what you hope, but you're waiting for what God has said. And in this case, it's the promise of the Spirit. So if you're like waiting on the Lord right now, what I would encourage you to do is, is get a word of promise about what you're waiting on. You've got to learn to wait on the promises of God. I find that often I wait, but I wait for the wrong things rather than basing my waiting on the Lord. Remember in Luke, last uh, year we studied in Luke 11, 
Um, and, and you guys are probably like, oh, yeah, we remember exactly what you're talking about. But in Luke 11, verse 12, this concept of waiting for the Spirit, you say, you know what? I've been waiting on the Spirit for years. I've been a Christian, and I see other Christians, and they're walking in the Spirit, and I don't have that, and I don't understand, and why is that? And we're going to learn about that next week even. I'm not going to get into that too much today except for this thought in uh, Luke 11, verse 13. It says this, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... Remember that verse you guys remember from Luke? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who seek Him? The context is that you're asking God to give you, uh, you know, a, a, this, this idea of a generous God. And so in the, it follows uh, the, this passage in Luke talks about the Lord's Prayer and, and God is, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And so you get to that verse where you're like, you know, you're, you're asking for a fish. A father doesn't give you a stone, you know. And so he caps it with this verse of saying, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? And in this case, we're back in Acts 1 now. And we're talking about how God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And in this case, he's promised the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, go and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so some of you who are like, well, I, I want more Holy Spirit in my life. I'll tell you what, that's a promise that God has given you. You can underline Luke 13, verse 11 and be like, Lord, you have promised to give the Holy Spirit. You have promised to give the, the filling of the Spirit in my life, and I'm not going to go anywhere until you do that. And you know what? That's what the disciples did. It says in verse 6, so when they had come together, they, uh, and we'll get back to that conversation in a minute, but you see them as you go through the chapter, they get together in a room, they start praying. He didn't even tell them to pray, but naturally they're like, well, what are we going to do? They get on their knees and they start praying. They want the Holy Spirit. And so they wait. They're praying on the promises of God. It's not a whim that they want. They want something that God has promised. It's a good thing. And they do exactly what he says. They obey him. I like this too. They wait together. We see it right away in verse 6. So when they had come together, and later there's an emphasis on togetherness. And, and I think that's so critical. I look around you. So many of your small groups are going to have that chance to wait together on what God has promised. I know you've seen that happen in your life before, but you're going to have a chance to see it again. You're going you're to get to know these women at your tables. Now, I'm telling you, I, I have such a sense of this, this awkwardness. I'm not really good on first dates. It really, it takes me like 10 or 12 dates before I get comfortable, so, which means I never get comfortable, but that's, that's besides the point. But, but listen, I mean, there's something awkward about the first month in small group. Now, you, you may know some of the people in your group, and you may be like, well, I'm just going to talk to her because I know her, but these guys are not, you know. But there's something about coming together in the name of Jesus Christ and holding up his word and saying, you know what, I don't know anything about you. In fact, I don't even think I have anything in common with you other than this. But somehow God takes this unifying spirit of God and uses his word and brings us together and knits our hearts. And I've seen it happen in groups. And I'm telling you, eight months from now, you'll be like, what? You want us to change groups? You know, we encourage multiplication of groups. And you're supposed to, to have, the, like, the group isn't supposed to be the same group 10 years from now. And, and yet, the biggest complaint at the end of the year is what? Well, I don't want to leave group. I, I love the gals in my group. And I want to be like, uh, let's rewind for a minute. Can we talk about today? Do you really love your group? You know, and it's, it's just ironic how it happens. How does that happen? It's, it's God getting his spirit to unify us, to love one another, to see how he's working in us, edifying one another, encouraging one another, rebuking one another when the need happens. And if you do that, do it in love. The disciples understood that. So they came together. We're talking about the fact that Jesus is alive. Number one, we said because he's alive, the story's not over. Number two, because he's alive, the waiting has a purpose. And now, number three, because he is alive, his kingdom will come. 
in verse 6, the disciples, they're, uh, you know, I, I like the disciples because they're not the sharpest knife in the drawer, right? And so they say, you know, they're still kind of on their, I mean, they kind of get it. They're, they're now so happy that Jesus is alive, you know, but they're still kind of like, wait, I don't know, is, are you going to be the king like anytime soon, Lord? And that's exactly what they are like, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're, and they're like a little kid in the car, like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And, and Jesus, it's funny because he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say like, Peter, come on, didn't you get it? Like, isn't it enough that I'm alive? Like, what, what kind of like disciples are you? You want more. You always want more. You always want more. Just stop. Stop complaining. He doesn't do that. He says what in verse 7? He says, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. In fact, Jesus is agreeing with Peter that the kingdom will come someday. He's just saying it's not going to happen now, and don't worry about it. And, and, you know, I'm telling you, I, I've had such a chance to watch my sister's family close up. And, and those of you who have families, I mean, you understand that, don't you? Because, because it's like you know you're going to go on vacation. You know you're going to get to the place you're going. You know this is going to happen. But you're just like, just, honey, don't worry about it. It's, it's that attitude of like, it's not for you to know. Just trust, trust me. And, and that's kind of the attitude that you feel Jesus is taking with the disciples. Like, you're right. The kingdom will come. And, and, you know, I just want to talk a little bit about the kingdom of God because, because here's the deal. Uh, because he is alive, his kingdom will come. But, but, but I want to talk about this idea of are we living in the kingdom of God now or is it something to come later? And, and I, I read this. R.C. Sproul um, wrote this, which I, I like. It kind of uh, this, uh, delineates that, I think, pretty well. He says, yes, the consummation of the kingdom is still in the future. So the day, the consummation, meaning the day will come when Christ will indeed come and set up reign here on earth. Like there will be a, a kingdom where Jesus Christ is actually reigning, where we'll see him and worship him. And it's going to be great. I can't wait for that day. But he says, but the reality of the kingdom is now. The mission of the early church was to bear witness to the reality of that kingdom. Do you see what differentiated the disciples after they saw the living Christ is that they understood that Christ now has, uh, has risen from the dead and very soon would be ascending to sit at the right hand of God. He is at the right, he is, he has already defeated death. Do you understand that? He has already overcome sin. He has already defeated the evil one and he is sitting at the right hand of God making intercession for you and for me. His kingdom has started. It is taking place. It will be consummated in the future. But we should be living in light of that kingdom. I think it was MacArthur that says this. If you wonder why the first century Christians turned the world upside down and we do not, it is because they preached the kingdom of God and we do not. Well, that's our teaching for today. And I'm so glad you checked in. And I pray that God is at work in your life, even as you conclude this time in the Word. Hey, I can't wait to be back with you next week. In the meantime, know that you can download our app. It's called the Living With Power app, where you can access all teachings and resources at your fingertip. You can also spend some time on our website. It's the livingwithpower.org website, where you can also find out about our global work. Uh, we have a store that you can buy more resources on or download free studies. Hey, are you following me on Instagram? I show up daily trying to provide encouragement to you and a little tidbit of God's word in a world of social media. And if you are here for the first time, again, welcome. Thanks for being here. And if you've been here before, please come back again and subscribe to this podcast. But more importantly, just know that God loves you. He's for you. And I can't wait to be back with you next week.